Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. If you're just joining us, my name is Justin and I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And we are slowly working our way through the New Testament book of the Bible called John, or the Gospel of John. If you don't know, this book was written by John, an apostle of Jesus. It is an eyewitness account of the last three years of Jesus' life and ministry. And John tells us that he wrote the book so that those who come after him, that's us, would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing in Jesus as the Son of God, we would have life in his name. Now, that kind of upfront thesis statement by an author might make you a little bit skeptical. Oh, he's writing just to get me to believe. He's telling us his bias right up front. We might be tempted to think that the gospel is therefore just going to present 
some kind of mythical Jesus to us presented in the best possible light with all the rough edges rubbed off, something that we would all just agree is a good man. But that's not what John does. John doesn't take away all of the weirdness. John doesn't take away all of the hard-to-believe portions and package for us a narrative that would make it as easy as possible for the maximum amount of people to believe in Jesus. We don't have this kind of whitewashed, lukewarm presentation of Jesus Christ. John does want us all to believe that Jesus is the unique Son of God, but he tells it to us just like he saw it. He includes things that honestly makes it really hard for 21st century Americans to believe who have been told the for the majority of our lives by our culture that one, miracles don't happen, two, that the devil isn't real, and three, that Jesus is just another nice, good man that repackaged common sense moral teaching for people in the first century. Most colleges today offer some kind of course in world religions, and what they will tell you is that Jesus was just another good man moral teacher who happened to start another religion. Nothing to see here. Just move along. Don't pay much attention. Just move right past Jesus. And on your, you know, as you survey the smorgasbord of all world religion options, hear a little bit about Jesus and then just keep moving because nothing spectacular, nothing special here. Well, the only way you can come to that conclusion is by denying the eyewitness accounts and the eyewitness evidence to the contrary that we find in the Gospels. Last week in chapter 9, we saw Jesus do what no man had ever done before. He healed a man who had been born blind. And as miraculous as that was, it was really just a metaphor for what Jesus wants to do for all of us. Those of us who sit in darkness, those of us who can't see the spiritual reality around us, he wants to wake us up. He wants to uncover our eyes so that we can see Jesus Christ is the unique Son of God and there's no way to get to God unless you come through him. As you see Jesus as he really is, you will be saved by him but if you refuse to see him, if you close your eyes, you don't want to look at him, you don't want to know him, you will remain spiritually blind. And as Jesus said last week, your guilt will remain on you. In other words, the guilt for your sins, that every single human being has sinned in the eyes of God. And there's only one way to have that guilt removed from you, that stain of sin removed from you, and that's through the blood of Christ. Well, today... Jesus is going to build on that encounter with the blind man. The blind man got new eyes to see, both physically and spiritually. By the end of chapter 9, this man is seeing the world for the first time, and he is seeing his Savior, his King, his Creator God right in front of him. This man turned from his sins and embraced Jesus Christ by faith, and he ends the chapter by worshiping Jesus. That means not just believing on Jesus, but living his life under the lordship of Christ. That's what worship means. 
Now, let me just point this out. If Jesus was just a good moral teacher, Jesus would have stopped that man right there, right? This man believes in him and then starts to worship him. We have other encounters. The apostle Paul one time, he gets snake bitten and then all the people go, oh my goodness, this guy must be cursed by a demon. This guy must, he must be on the wrong team. And then he shakes the snake off and he's like, no problem, no, no harm, no foul. And he just goes on and lives. And they're like, this guy, this guy might be God actually. And they want to worship him. He's like, don't worship me, I'm just a man. Another time in the book of Revelation, an angel shows up, and this angel is so beautiful and so, you know, glorious that people fall down on their face and they want to worship him. He says, don't worship me, I'm just a messenger. I'm not God, worship God alone. We don't see Jesus do that. We see Jesus accept this man's faith and accept this man's worship. Why? Because it's what this man was made for. We were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that means when we meet Jesus Christ, the rest of our life should be lived bowing at his feet and worshiping him, thanking him for his salvation, but also honoring him as king. This is, once again, where we see more evidence that the scriptures are trustworthy and they aren't just written by fanboys who are trying to tell us something or trying to get us to do something. The religious leaders of the day, the who's who in the Jewish community, the respectable ones, the, the gatekeepers, hear that term, the gatekeepers of Israel. If you want to know the God of the Old Testament, you've got to go through these people. That's who Israel, oh, that's who the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders were. These people call Jesus a sinner. In other words, these people are still spiritually blind. And that's what Jesus rebuked them in, the, in chapter 9. They claim to see. They claim to know what religion is all about. They claim to tell people how to get to God. And yet when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shows up, they point at him and call him a sinner. In baseball, you call that a whiff. Right? That's a whiff right there. They reject him. They call him a liar. So here we are beginning to see this great dichotomy that exists in humanity over the identity of Jesus. A dichotomy that still exists today. That wars are being fought today over the identity of Jesus Christ. There's people of the light who God has opened their eyes and they see Jesus for who he is as the son of God. And then there's people whose eyes still remained closed and they are sitting in the darkness and they hate him and call him a sinner and reject what he says. Now I'm tempted to be pulled into this way this morning. I'm just going to have to. I, I want you to know that Israel today is still rejecting Jesus by and large. They still hate him and call him just a man. All right? Now Islam, same thing. They basically call him a prophet. They, they say he's not the son of God. Right? And so what's going on in the Middle East right now are two people sitting in darkness fighting with one another. And yes, there is clearly one who's more evil than the other right now. I'm not saying that. But there's still this great dichotomy that goes right through all of humanity on who is Jesus. Jesus. 
What we don't see, this man, this is over and over and over. John wants us to see. We see people of the light, and we see people sitting in darkness. What we don't see is a big, nice, mushy middle. We don't see people that are just kind of comfortable with the lights turned down, just enough not to hurt my eyes, and just we're here to chill. That's not. We don't see that. Jesus is not just another good old boy. In other words, if you have a mild reaction to the person of Jesus, you actually haven't looked at the evidence. You haven't really studied what he said and what he did. Now, unfortunately, our city is full of people like this. Young people, you might be sitting in your parents' home and they follow Jesus and they worship Jesus and you might have a mild reaction to Jesus. Yeah, he's, he's, he's all right. He's all right. Then you don't see him as he is. Your parents may be walking into the light and they're wanting to lead you into the light, but it's about time you wake up. I know there are people here this morning. Ah, Jesus, yeah. Today I'm praying that the light bulb will come on in your soul and you will look and you will listen and you will see the evidence today and you would come to believe that Jesus is the Christ and you would do what the blind man did last week and fall at his feet and worship him so that you can have life and life more abundantly. That's what Jesus offers us this morning. Let me pray for us and we can begin our study in John chapter 10. Father God, we invite you here this morning. You've already invited us in, and so we, we invite the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. We want to be led in truth. We confess that you are the great shepherd of the sheep, and we need to be shepherded. We need to be led. We need to be fed. We need to be watered. We need to be protected. We need you right now in this moment. And there's temptation with this many people here. There's temptation to be distracted, to think about more coffee, to think about going to the bathroom, to get up and move around. And Father, I pray that you would calm us and you would settle us, that we could sit down because right now as we come to your word, you, the God of the universe, want to feed us. I pray that you would do it, Lord. As an under-shepherd of yours, I pray that you would think through my mind and you would speak through my vocal cords, that you would help me know what our sheep in this building this morning what they need to hear and you'd help me say the right things and prevent me from saying the wrong things and that your sheep God this is a promise your sheep would hear your voice would every one of your sheep this morning hear your voice call them and lead them to green pastures Father I want to pray for Isla this morning as she continues to fight uh, her, her battle this morning with her health, and I just, I thank you for the great news that we got this past week. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for what you're doing in this young girl's body. We continue to offer our faith and our praise up to you, and we ask that you would continue to restore her completely and heal her completely. Father, everybody else that's struggling with health issues and others that are struggling even with cancer this morning, I pray for them as well. Give them faith this morning, and we ask that you would continue to heal their bodies. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Well, as we jump into chapter 10, there is no real transition. You're going to learn right away. Jesus just kind of picks up 
where he left off, but he switches metaphors a little bit. There's no real transition between chapter 9 and 10. And so Jesus is still speaking to the same group of people. He just switches metaphors, all right? So let's start in chapter 10, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, open them up there with me. Once again, Jesus snapping his fingers at us. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus here uses a new figure of speech. He's ta- he starts talking about sheep. Now, most of us probably don't have much personal experience with sheep, right? So this is going to take some work for us to know what Jesus is doing here. First off, sheep are not the smartest of all God's creatures, all right? And just let me tell you right away, this analogy that Jesus uses is going to be, first and foremost, a little offensive for us, especially those of us who pride ourselves on our intelligence, Maybe we've gone to school and we've gotten degrees or we've gone to, you know, greater levels of school and we've got greater levels of degrees and we've got a lot of numbers and names and everything else behind our names that we can put on our business cards and we get recognition just because we have a master's or a PhD or a doctorate and we get respect from our culture because we have those things, right? Well, Jesus says all of humanity are sheep. And he's basically going to lay out this metaphor for us that there is sheep of his pasture and then there's sheep out in the world. And when you get down to the the bottom, sheep are not that intelligent of a creature. Okay? So that's good. We're going to be a little offended this morning. We've got to ease into it. But we're going to, we'll see what Jesus has to say about this. Now, they obviously aren't the smartest. They're obviously uh, not great navigators, let's just say that, okay? You can, your dog or your cat can leave your house and roam around all day for miles upon miles and then somehow at dinner time wind up, wind up right back at your door, right? Well, sheep aren't like that. A sheep will just straight up wander off and be like, where, 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 where did everything go, right? right? <laughs> sheep are also pretty defenseless, God did not give them a lot of tools to fight off attackers, right? There's a reason why I have never seen a sheep as a high school mascot, <laughs> right? We don't, have, we don't got gnarly teeth. We don't got too many, you know, horns. We don't got a lot of weapons on these things, right? They're pretty defenseless. So because of that, They're not that smart, they're not great navigators, and they don't have a lot of tools of defense. Sheep are in constant danger of being eaten by predators, stolen by thieves, right? This is the type of thing that you want to steal. You're just like, hey, come here. And it's like, okay, I'll come that way, right? And it's not going to bite you. There's nothing it can do, right? Easily, easily stolen. And they're also, they also just wander off and get lost. Sheep actually have a herd instinct where if the herd starts running off the cliff, guess what? They all just go with it. Here we go. We're going this way, I guess. Now listen, if you've ever been on Twitter, human beings are like sheep. Wherever the herd goes, we go. 
I hate to say it. Now we look back and we're, many of us are kind of ashamed of ourselves. But if we all, if, that the, if the herd starts wearing masks, if the herd lines up and says, put it in my arm. What is it? I don't know. Do it anyway. Go ahead. Everybody tells me I have to do it. We, like sheep, go with the flow a lot of times. Now I know there's a few of us among us who don't go with any flow. There's always the rebels. It's so funny, though. The rebels, you package them together and they look the same, right? (laughs) You know, high school and college, right? All the rebels, now they got neck tattoos. It's like, oh, wow, you're a rebel. All the rebels, they wear black. Wow, you look like a black sheep. That's amazing, Right? Even in our rebellion, we tend to rebel with the crowd, with everybody else. Human beings are a lot like sheep. So here's what's happened. Mankind, in following God's instruction to take dominion over all the earth, have figured out how to take care of these silly creatures. Sheep need a shepherd. And what shepherds would do in Jesus' day is many times they lived on multi-generational, we could call them homesteads. So grandma and grandpa had their little house, mom and dad had their little house, the kids, as they grew older, they'd have their little house, and they would put them close together, and then they would corral the sheep together, and they would build, like, they would use the, like, one side of their house for one of the sides of the sheep pen, and then they'd build a little fence, and there's another house, and so they could corral all the sheep around their houses, And they would do this because obviously if you leave the sheep out at night by themselves, they they could be attacked by wolves. They could be attacked by evil men that try to steal them, right? Or they could just get out. Something happens and they get out and they wander off and get lost. And so shepherds, many people were shepherds, they wanted to keep their sheep real close to home, right? So if they heard something weird, they could go out their front door and then boom, the sheep are right there, right? They don't have to go traipsing across the prairie looking for them, right? The Middle Eastern prairie, right? <laughs> right? So, they, so they would build a sheep pen or a sheep fold in order to protect these animals. And one of the interesting things, if they were, as they take, if you know, you take a sheep, you take them out there, they graze. And again, sheep don't have much forethought. They're not like, hey, let's only eat half of this. We need some for tomorrow, right? No, like teenagers, they will just eat out the whole house and home right now, Right? <laughs> And then blame you for no groceries in the cabinet, right? So they would just eat up this whole pasture. So what a shepherd would have to do is lead them out to farther and farther pastures. And many times they would get farther away from the home. So they'd have to build a temporary pen. And when they built a temporary pen, one of the things that they would do is the shepherd himself would lay down um, as a gate. So the sheep would have to try to jump over him, and a sheep would not jump over the shepherd. So the sheep himself would kind of be the gate to the shepherd. We're going to see Jesus kind of play off of this. So the shepherd, this is interesting. You can, I I love YouTube for this purpose. There are still shepherds among us, right? And you can go and you can YouTube uh, shepherds and sheep, and you can learn about some of these things. And one of the things that's unique about sheep and shepherd in that relationship is the sheep learn the shepherd's voice. And shepherds have a specific call, 
And shepherds have a specific tone of voice. And some shepherds sing to their sheep. And what would happen if you have a group of families or a group of friends that are pinning all of their sheep together to kind of pool their resources and you have one gatekeeper, one guy watching over them at night, is that shepherd could show up in the morning, do their little whistle or do their little song or just say, hey guys, come with me. And those, that man's, that shepherd's sheep would all follow him, but the other shepherd's sheep would stay in the pen and wouldn't, wouldn't follow him. And we're going to see how Jesus plays off all of this this morning. So sheep need a shepherd. They need to know their shepherd's voice, and they need to be known by him. So a shepherd knows his specific sheep. They need to be led. They need to be fed, and they need to be protected by their shepherd. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Again, remember, if, if we've got this pen built up and there's a gatekeeper sitting in front of them, if that's your sheep, you show up in the morning to get your sheep, you come to the door and you say, hey, I'm here to get my sheep. And then the, the gatekeeper gets out of the way and allows you to call your sheep to take them out to pasture. Verse three, to him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. So here we go. A shepherd is a leader. A shepherd walks before them, right? A shepherd has his eyes up on the lookout for predators and for dangers that the sheep could find themselves in. So here we see the shepherd, a good shepherd, leading his sheep, right? You don't see a shepherd afraid of what may come around the corner and go, you two go first, right? Well, yeah, let's not go that way, right? No, a shepherd is out front. Here we go, verse five. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. So when the voice of another shepherd calls, a sheep runs from it. Do you hear that? A voice of another shepherd. Sheep are meant to know their shepherd's voice in such a way that when they hear a siren call, when they hear another shepherd try to lead them in an opposite direction, they run from that shepherd. Now listen, there are a lot of men and women today trying to get us off mission trying to get us to listen to some other shepherd other than the voice of Jesus. And we've got to be really careful. We need to know the voice of our shepherd. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Here we go. They have ears, but they can't hear. They had eyes last week, but they couldn't see. Verse 7, So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now this is a kind of a strange statement here. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Here's the idea. The only way to become one of God's own is through Jesus. The only way into God's sheepfold is to go through Jesus. In other words, in this figure of speech, we are all, all humanity are sheep. Every single person on the planet is a sheep, and God only has one sheepfold where you can get in 
And you can be known by God, you can be protected by God, you can be led by God, you can be fed by God. All towards eternal life. There's only one place. There is no back door into life with God. You have to go through Christ. Jesus says this directly in John 14, 6, where he says, I say to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only door that people can enter into eternal life with God. Now, I want you to remember who Jesus is saying this to. He's saying this to the Jewish leaders. He's telling them, you are not in God's sheep pen. Yes, you claim to know God. Yes, you claim to know Moses. Yes, you claim to know all the the Ten Commandments and you claim to have the Old Testament and understand it, but clearly you're missing the point because the Son of God shows up and you're calling him a sinner. So these people thought they were in God's pen. They thought God was their shepherd. They no doubt could sing by heart Psalm 23 that we sang this morning. He's, we're the sheep of his pasture. And Jesus is looking at him and saying, no, you're sheep. But you're not in God's pen. He calls them robbers and thieves. Now, this is interesting. They would know what he's talking about. I think they would know what he's talking about. And this, I thought of right before the sermon, so you're not going to have the scripture. But it's in Ezekiel chapter 34. And this is after the fall of Israel. They've been carried off into Babylon. And this is what the prophet Ezekiel says. Through the, the Spirit of God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel and says this, verse 2. Well, I'll also say, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, so the religious leaders, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of all the earth with none to search or seek after them. So what the prophets are saying in the Old Testament is the leaders of Israel have walked away from God. They've become selfish and self-focused. They're doing their job to reap personal benefits, not wanting to lay their life down for the sheep and to teach the sheep and to feed the sheep and to lead the sheep. And because of that, God has struck the shepherds of Israel and now the people are spread off all over kingdom come. And Israel does get spread all over the face of the earth. But also in Ezekiel 34, God promises to raise up a new shepherd from the line of David who would lead God's people to to be a part of God's flock, to lead them, feed them, and protect them. So what Jesus is doing here in verse 9 is he's saying, 
Look at he says, I am the door, verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So what he's saying is, the, the teachers of religious law, the Jewish authorities, they are in it for themselves. They are thieves and robbers. They're trying to sneak into God's pen, but, they're, but they don't come through Jesus. And so they're nothing but thieves and robbers. So don't listen to them. Verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So we, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We worship Jesus Christ. He brings us into, we could say, the people of God or God's sheep pen, his fold. And we will be saved and we can go in and out and find pasture. Again, he's going to lead us. He's going to feed us. Verse 10. Now this is one of the most famous things Jesus has ever said. Most of us have probably heard it at least once or twice in our lifetime. Jesus here is drawing our attention to the great antithesis that is behind all wars, all crime, all injustice, and all of life. During the 90s, I think it was during the 90s, Rodney King famously asked, why can't we all just get along? Here's Jesus' answer, 10-10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. What's going on here? Because if you go all the way back to the beginning, there is God, the uncreated creator, and there is Satan. Now, God and Satan are not equals. God is the uncreated creator, and Satan is a part of his creation. But Satan, as an angel, was extremely beautiful and extremely powerful before he rebelled against God. And we learn in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan, was, that Satan tempted Adam and Eve to rebel from God. You remember this story, right? God made a tree, and the tree was good. God told them not to eat of that tree. If they did, they would be cursed they would die. But what did Satan do? Satan tempted them to disobey God by pointing to something good and telling them a lie about it. Oh, no, no. You won't die if you eat that. You're going to become enlightened like God. See, that's what Satan does. Satan, he is not a creator. God is the only creator. Satan is nothing but a counterfeiter. He can take something God created and he can bend it, he can twist it, he can malign it, he can lie about it. That's all he can do. So he points to the, the tree and he says, God's holding out on you actually. If you eat of this tree, you're going to become, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to become like God. Satan wants to turn that tree and use it for evil. He wants to steal and to kill and destroy those who have been made in the image of God. Jesus tells us he's a liar and been a liar from the beginning. Here's the, here's the reality. If there is no such thing as truth, then there is no such thing as a lie either. Amen. Satan takes the truth of God and tries to bend it. So from that moment on, there is this antithesis that runs through everything, through all of mankind. 
We see there's enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of Adam and Eve. And that enmity is still alive and well today. Satan still wants to steal and kill and destroy everything God has made, and that includes us. Can I ask you this morning, are there people in the world who still love death? Have you looked away this week? Have you, have you seen the gruesome pictures that's going on? We in the West have come to believe this lie that mankind is inherently good. We are fools to believe that. That is false theology. We are all equally evil and bent from the beginning, and we need God to unbend us. We need God to straighten us out. There are people in the world who still believe that death is a good thing. Hamas believes that death is a good thing. They don't care if their children die because they go to heaven and get virgins and all the things that they believe. They're okay with dying. They're okay with killing people and non-combatants in the most gruesome way possible. My stomach was turned and I was sickened as I read the reports of the rape and the murder of Children, women, grandparents this week, and the parading of their bodies through the streets. There are people who love death. Wake up to that reality. Well, we don't. Millions of unborn children who've been killed in their mother's womb would beg to differ. The enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus Christ has come to give us life and life more abundantly. Are there people who still want to steal? <laughs> All of us have locks on our doors for a reason. Are there people who want to destroy? Are there people who want to march in the streets and do nothing but tear stuff up? Yes! On our college campuses. Why? Because there is this antithesis that splits right down humanity that you either see Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you follow him into life and life more abundantly or you are in a culture of death and you are leading people to darkness, death, and destruction. You follow Jesus, the good shepherd, or you follow Satan, the thief. Satan creates a culture of death, destruction, and theft. In other words, Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of chaos. Jesus, the son of God, says, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That word there in the Greek, the word for life is zoe. We named our oldest daughter after this word. That Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Hear that this morning. Jesus didn't come so that you just follow the rules. Jesus didn't come just so you gave up a few hours of your Sunday, one Sunday morning a week, to come and sing some songs. Jesus offers you more than just forgiveness of sins, more than just heaven when you die. Jesus offers you life. 
That means Jesus offers us this life and life more abundantly. It means a remarkable life. An extraordinary life. An exceptional life that begins when we come to believe in him, but will also go on into eternal life with God, and it will get better and better and better and better. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of life. Abundant life. Now let me just say, all Christians and all churches do not experience this life equally. When one of my friends came to church a couple weeks ago, he said, man, there are sure a lot of happy, smiling people there. He's like, people really want to be here. And it did my pastor's heart really good. I was very happy about that. Why are we so happy? Now listen, it's not because we're faking it. Now some of you might be. I know the ones who are faking it, you're the ones who lectured your kids on the way here. Look, you better look happy. Right? You better look happy. Right? Okay, I'll look happy. All right? Right? No. It's not because everything in our life is good at the moment. Right? We're still dealing with death. We're still dealing with fear. We're still dealing with the flesh. Right? We're still dealing with how are we going to pay our bills. We're still dealing with a whole lot of difficult things, right? We're still parenting children, and those children still, you know, haven't changed much, right? They're still kids. They're still sheep. What makes stupid sheep worse? Being young, right? That's even worse. And God gives us a whole mess of them, right? And so we're... We, as parents, still in a lot of ways are stupid sheep. Parents, and God gives us a whole mess of other sheep to lead. What could go wrong? (laughs) See, we still sin and struggle with the desires of the flesh. We aren't perfect people. We are happy because we have been found by the good shepherd. We were the stupid sheep wandering out by itself that Jesus went out and found, threw it over his shoulder, and carried it back to his sheep pen and put it there. And if you've ever seen YouTube, I know I've shared this before, but it's a hilarious video and you've got to see it, where a sheep gets wedged in this crack in the earth and they find the sheep. And the shepherd each grab a leg and you're like, oh, that looks violent, right? And they're like pulling the sheep out. You're like, oh my. Well, there's no freedom down in that hole, okay? There's that, I don't know where that sheep thinks it's going. It's not going anywhere good, okay? So these shepherds have to grab a leg and yank the sheep out and the sheep hops and hops and is so happy and they're boom, <laughs> right back in the hole. And that is what we have done a thousand times over. God sets us free from an addiction. God, God forgives us from our sins, from looking at pornography or doing something stupid. And we thank him for his righteousness that's been given to us in Christ. And we thank you for his forgiveness. And we thank him for dying for us. And then we hop around a couple days and funk right back into it. And we're like, how did I get here? And here's the deal. There's no way out for that sheep. 
That sheep doesn't have a reverse button that it can push and somehow feed itself out. The only way that sheep gets out of that is for the shepherd to come along and pull them out. And that's what Jesus does for us week after week, day after day, as we get into our mess because of our sin, and he comes and rescues us and throws us on his shoulders and brings us back. That's why we're happy around here. We had an older gentleman get baptized last week, and he said to me at the door, he said, I never understood the words of amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. Until this week, and he was weeping. That's why. Because Jesus pursues stupid sheep. Jesus loves him some stupid sheep. And it has nothing to do with your IQ, okay? You can be absolutely brilliant and still find yourself in that hole day after day after day. Jesus forgives us our sins and leads us into the abundant life. This is the great antithesis. We either follow Jesus into the abundant life or we follow Satan into death and destruction. It's Christ or it's chaos. There is no middle ground. You can choose to build your life in the sheep pen of Jesus where you will be known and loved and protected. Or you can follow Satan where you will be lied to, stolen from, and ultimately destroyed. See, here is the lie of Satan. Satan says, I have no sheepfold. If you come to my side... This is why Jesus says his way is narrow and the way of the world is really wide because Jesus gives sheep complete free, or Satan gives sheep supposedly complete freedom. Here's the idea. If you understand who you are, you don't want that type of freedom. You're a sheep. What are you going to do when the wolf comes knocking? You've got nothing. You've got nothing against the temptation of Satan. You've got nothing against the desires of the flesh. You've got nothing against the darkness Satan offers you a supposed freedom, and in it is only death. Sin is fun for a season, but then it ends in death. There is no middle ground. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, he's going after these religious leaders. I want you to remember the story of David. David was a a shepherd. And one of the things that prepared him to fight Goliath, if you remember, was he was a shepherd, and when the bear showed up and the lion showed up, David took out the bear and the lion. So God sent David a bear, and God sent David a lion to prepare him for the future Goliath, the giant that he was going to have to fight. Right? That's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd steps out there on the firing line and is willing to take shots. He's willing to fight off the wolf. He's willing to fight off the threat. He's willing to be misunderstood because he's out there seeing things that the sheep don't see. And so he's willing to say the hard things sometimes and take the shots. And Jesus says he is the good shepherd. He ultimately lays down his life for the sheep. Now the hired hand 
Again, I, I'm, I obviously spend way too much time on YouTube. <laughs> because you could, when you want, this is to tell you parts of the, the communities I'm a part of here. One of the things that I like to do is I like to, I like to watch bad guys get beat by good guys, okay? And so there's oftentimes, you know, bad guys come in, they're armed, and they try to rob a convenience store. This is just what they do, okay? They've been doing this for a long time. And you can tell most of the time when they're confronting the owner of the store versus they're confronting an employee of the store, right? They show up to the employer. The employer pushes the cash register and backs up. Take what you need, right? The owner oftentimes goes, oh, I got what you need right here, right? Right, and you see that, you see that guy hightail out of there, right? Jesus says there's a difference between a shepherd who owns the sheep and a hired hand. And I'll tell you, this is one of the problems with the American pastorate. Many pastors are hired hands. They get hired, they get paid a salary, they don't want to offend the sheep, they don't want to offend anybody else because they've got family to provide for, and they don't want to offend anybody, and so they're only going to say what keeps them their job. And Jesus says, no, that's not the job of a shepherd. A job of a shepherd is to get out there and fight off the wolves. Can you imagine the shepherd out there? You're leading them up. You're leading the sheep out. They got to go get fed. They got to go fed. Here comes a wolf. I ain't paid for this. I ain't paid for that. That is exactly what you're paid for. Protect the sheep. Not just on the good days when you're out there getting a tan and everything feels good. Oh, it's 70 degrees and sunny today. I love my job. No, you're paid for when the, when the wolf shows up, when the wolf comes knocking at your door. That's what you're paid for. I don't even know where I'm at now. Verse 17, probably. Oh, no, no, 14, thank you. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Whoa. Jesus Christ is one with God the Father. This word know, often in the scriptures, it says Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. It is an intimate type of knowledge. It's not just they know my name and I know his name. Oh, yeah, Joe Schmo from the back row. Oh, yeah, I know Joe. No, no, no. He knows us inside and out. He knows our thoughts. He knows our desires. He knows every wound we've ever, has ever been afflicted to us, every sin that we've ever afflicted on somebody else. Jesus knows us all the way down, all the way down from our head, top of our head to our toes. He knows us all the way down, and he chose us. He picked us. That's my sheep. I know them by name. I know them all the way down. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, let me tell you this. This is a judgment Jesus Christ is bringing upon the nation of Israel. He brings this judgment multiple times. He says, specifically pointing at the temple, that soon not one stone will be left on top of one another. He's doing the exact same thing right here. He's saying, God has sent me to the sheep of Israel, but the sheep of Israel are rejecting their shepherd. So therefore, 
where you're going to be rejected. And here's the idea. He's going to open up the sheep pen to Gentiles. Anybody who is not an Israelite by birth can come into God's sheepfold now if they come in through the one gate, Jesus Christ. That's what he's offering them right here. And I just learned this this week. I was completely blown away. I haven't done a lot of research on it, but I just saw it. One of the sons of the founders of Hamas has become a Christian. And he's out there speaking publicly against it right now. Why? How could that happen? Because the shepherd speaks to his sheep and calls them by name. And it doesn't matter if they're born in middle class America or if they're born all the way across the world. When the shepherd speaks, the sheep hear his voice. So why are you here this morning? Now maybe somebody drug you along, right? Maybe, maybe one of Christ's sheep said, come with me and drug you along here. Maybe that's why. Or most likely it's because Christ has been calling your name. He's calling his sheep to come forward. He knows you. And you're coming to know him. So I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Listen, there's one flock. There's one shepherd. God doesn't have a, God doesn't have a special relationship with Israel any longer. There's one flock and there's one shepherd. His flock are those who enter by the sheep gate. That's it. That's it. Verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Well, now here goes Jesus being totally unreasonable again. Do you see what he's saying? I am going to willingly lay my life down for the sheep, but then I'm going to take it back up again. What? Jesus says, no one takes it from me. In other words, my death will not be an accident. Pilate doesn't take my life from me. The Jewish leaders don't take my life from me. Even the Roman centurions who crucified Jesus don't take his life from him. Jesus laid down his life of his own accord. You see, we've seen through John, he says, oh, my time's not here yet. My time's not here yet. My time's not here yet. What does that tell you? He knew exactly when his time was coming. And he stepped into it willingly. Jesus says, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back up again. You see that word authority? Root word, author. Jesus is God. He is the author of life. And just as the author... Just as an author has the authority to kill off a character or bring that character back to life, right? <laughs> Every soap opera ever, right, ever right there. Just, they were dead. Oh, they're back. They didn't die, right? Whoever's writing that has the authority to do that. So can Jesus, the author of life, lay down his life and then pick it back up again? He is... Now listen, do you see how the claim that Jesus is just like every other world religious leader is absolute nonsense? No one has ever claimed to be able 
to control the day of their death and then get back up, come back up to, to new life. No one's ever claimed that and then actually done that. Jesus is not claiming to be just a good moral teacher. He's claiming to be the author of life who is in complete control at all times. So look how the people respond to Jesus' claims. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Right? There again, antithesis. There's this split. We don't know who he is. Now, C.S. Lewis has commented on this, and I'm gonna, I've, quote, I've kind of paraphrased this many times, but I'm going to quote it kind of at length here as I close this morning. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about the authenticity of Jesus, what Je who Jesus claimed to be, what Jesus did. He says this, C.S. Lewis, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. C.S. Lewis, an atheist, brilliant Oxford professor, bows his knee to Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ predicted his own death and then predicted his own resurrection and then was actually resurrected. That is the great evidence that we can trust our shepherd. He laid his life down for us. If you put your faith in him, you can have your sins forgiven. You can be brought into his sheepfold. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter how much sin you've done. The blood of Jesus Christ can cover it. And he can make it white as snow. And he can give you a new future. And he leads us into greener pastures. He leads us into the abundant life. Will you follow him this morning? Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your grace to us that we find in Christ, a grace that is found nowhere else. We see wars raging all over our planet. Lord Jesus, we long for the day that you will come and make all things new. We know even now that you have a mission to call out of lands that we don't even know, and we ask that you would call them by name and bring them into your sheepfold. Even in this room, we ask that you'd call people by name and bring them into your fold. Forgive them of their sins. 
cleanse them and lead them to life and life more abundantly. And Father God, for all of the believers in this room, we thank you that we get to come into your sheepfold even this morning and you literally feed us. You feed us through your body and you feed us through your blood. On the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body. Eat it in remembrance of me. And you took the cup of wine and you said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It is my blood spilled out for the forgiveness of sins. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to do that rightly this morning as an act of worship. Father of mercies, thank you for the gift of this bread, which we confess provides us with the body of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to enable us to eat of it in faith and to be made more fully members of his heavenly body through Christ our Lord. Father of mercies, thank you for this gift of this wine, which we confess provides us with the blood of your Son, our Savior. We ask you to enable us to drink of it in faith, and to be conformed more and more into the image of his death, through Christ our Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.